guys, welcome again. If, you, uh, if this is like one of your first times here or something or we haven't met, my name is Tom. Uh, I am the lead pastor here with Restored Church. I have the privilege of providing leadership to this church plant my wife, Ebony. I'm on uh, eldership here with Herrick and his wife, Heather. We would love to get to know you. Uh, we really believe the church is the family of God. It's not an event. Like, this isn't church. This is the church gathered for a purpose, to offer God praise and worship and rehearse the beautiful uh, news of the gospel. We desperately need to be reminded of it because we forget that God loves us and we forget, uh, we forget the gospel, man. So, all that being said, I wanted to welcome you quickly and also tell you we are on week 10 uh, in the middle of a series we're calling Jesus Is. Uh, we're going through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is, in, one of my, in my opinion, like one of the most, uh, the Bible is amazing, but the Gospel of John is just special, man. It's a really, really special book. It's, it's basically Jesus' closest friend making an appeal to, its, to his readers saying, hey, I want you to believe that this guy, Jesus, my best friend, is the savior of the world. Okay, kind of an outlandish claim, but there's power there. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the gospel of Jesus. And that's what we've been going through. We wanted to see Jesus more clearly in this series. We want to, we want to know more about him because we're convinced that what we believe actually influences our behavior. That's John's whole premise with this gospel. So, before we jump into the scriptures... Um, if you're anything like me, when you have downtime, I have the tendency to like grab my cell phone. I hate it. It's like I'm kind of addicted to this thing and I don't like it because it's, it's, <laughs> it tends to be distracting and it makes me feel anxious because there's always a message and there's always a scroll opportunity. There's always something. But the other day, if you're anything like me, I had some time to kill. So I just kind of opened. Do you guys have like the news app on your phone? You're quiet this morning. I need you to talk or the preaching would be terrible. There we go. You guys have the news app on your phone? Am I the only person that actually reads the news and feels anxious afterwards? Okay. So I opened the news app and I saw a headline on one of the news articles that said like miracle plane crash. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I click on it. Yeah, I'm like miracle plane crash. That's weird. So I click on it. Have you guys heard about the, it's the Aeromexico flight? Raise your hand if you've heard about this. Okay, yeah, so, so most of us, actually. Okay, so Aeromexico flight 2431. I did my research, okay? Uh, I start reading about this, and I'm, like, shocked. Like, it was, it, was, it was kind of crazy, right? So you have this flight, this commercial airline flight, right? 103 people on board. It crashes. 103 out of 103 survive. And I'm like, what is this? That's, I've never heard this. Maybe it's happened before, but not, not to my knowledge, right? So I'm reading this news article. I'm shocked. I'm kind of captivated. Everybody survived. It's this miracle. It's amazing. And they start sharing testimonies from witnesses, right? People that are on the plane. And this 17-year-old girl, she had her cell phone out. And she's recording out the window, and you can just see, it's basically, I don't know if you're familiar with, with, with flights, but most plane crashes either happen on the takeoff or on the landing, right? So they're trying to take off in the middle of this gnarly storm. The 17-year-old girl, she's got her phone out the window, not out the window, but like up against the window. That's why the brake crashed, because she had her phone out the window. <laughs> she, she has her phone up against the window, and you just see like, it was gnarly. And all the, all the passengers are kind of sharing their testimony, but this girl's like, I don't know why we tried to take off. The winds were so strong. It didn't make any sense. So they take off, right, and they end up crashing. But they also, they, this other guy, this, this guy, he, had a, he, he shared kind of his testimony too, his older guy, and he was saying how it was, he's like, it was really it's terrifying. He goes, you know, people were screaming, 
and there's like blood and there's injuries. And he goes, he goes, thankfully, my injuries are pretty minor. He's like, I had a couple scratches and bruises and like I was bleeding a little bit, but some people got like really hurt, you know? And so he was telling stories about he was trying to help people off the airplane and stuff, right? Because, you know, smoke fills the cabin and people are panicking. And I mean, picture yourself in that situation of like what you think you'd do, you know? And then like when you're in the middle of it, like, I'm afraid I think I could, I think I could die. What's going to happen, right? So all these people are afraid. And he's just kind of describing this scene. And he describes this scene how there was like grown men like pushing little children out of the way to like get off the plane. And I remember being like, my first thought was, what a bunch of wusses. Like, really? Like, who would do that? And I thought about them like, you know what? I'm not in their shoes. Like, when fear, I've, all, I've done really stupid things in my life when I've been afraid, okay? And I know that all, this entire room has, this, has done the same thing. But either way, I kind of started to judge the guy, but I was like, oh, man, how do you push a kid over? It was just, it was gnarly. So I'm reading these testimonies, right, of all these people that experienced something really traumatic, really dramatic. It was, it was kind of intense, but do you know what makes these people's testimonies so powerful? What makes their testimonies powerful is that they were there. Like they were witnesses. They experienced it. The testimony of an eyewitness is really, really powerful. Today's message is going to be fun, I think, because today we're going to talk about a witness. We're going to hear about a witness, a witness with a very, very important testimony. And the testimony of this specific witness is incredibly powerful. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're going to be, we're going to start in verse 22 this morning. Um, I usually preach from the ESV translation, so that's the words that will be on the screen. If you don't have the ESV, it might be easier for you to, to follow along there. You can use your app if that works for you. I think that even the church app has the Bible on there too. Go ahead and grab that. Before we jump into the scriptures, though, I'd love to pray for our time. So while you're flipping there, will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you um, for your grace that covers me and covers us. Um, Thank you that you really are patient with us, and you're gracious, and you're kind. You really are good to us, as we sung this morning. Like, it just never gets old proclaiming your goodness back to you as someone who has received such goodness and grace. I pray that this morning, Holy Spirit, you would teach us, you would show us. Um, I pray that nothing would come out of my mouth um, that gets in the way of your purposes this morning, what you want to accomplish in um, these precious, precious people's hearts and minds. So be with us, minister to us, empower me to honor them, and uh, have your way, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 22. Um, Here's the thing about this morning. Every time you see the word John, it's not referencing John, the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel. It's referencing John the Baptist. If you've been following us in this series, you've been with us, we've kind of gone back and forth, like, you know, hearing from John the Baptist and then kind of going somewhere else and then coming back to hear from John the Baptist again. We're going to hear from John the Baptist this morning. So when it says John, who's it talking about? Well done. Okay. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, John the Baptist, was also baptizing at Ainon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Verse 25, 
Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, that's Jesus, look, this is Jesus, right? Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Okay, really quickly. So you have people, right? They're going to Jesus now instead of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's followers are jealous, okay? Everybody's going to Jesus and his followers to be baptized like they used, they used to come to us. Okay, check out what John's response is here in verse 27. John answered, listen to this. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Okay, really quickly. You have Jesus, and Jesus' popularity is increasing, okay? While Jesus' popularity is, is increasing, John's popularity is decreasing, okay? And John basically says, what has been given to Jesus, it comes from heaven, okay? He's, Jesus isn't like stealing followers from John here, okay? John knows this, but John's followers are having a hard time understanding this, Okay? I was thinking about this um, this week as I was prepping, and unfortunately, I feel like this mentality has a way of seeping into most communities, especially even the church. Like, guys, the truth is, God is the source of blessing in our lives. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear it. God is the source of blessings in our a blessing in our lives. Okay, the house that you live in, whether you own it or you don't own it. Okay. The car that you drive, whether you own it or you don't own it. The food in your fridge, the air in your lungs in this moment, every blessing you have is from him. Now, I think oftentimes a lot of us try to think like, okay, hey, like I work hard for what I have. Yes, that's awesome. Working hard is a wonderful thing. But there's somebody outside of you who enabled you to actually work hard. Like you have arms and legs and breath and ability and come on. Like you have a, you've been given gifts from above, right? Every blessing you have is from you. And some of us, we've been really radically blessed by the generosity of other people as well. Okay, so we can go, oh, no, actually, my blessings come from other people. Yeah, well, they were provided for as well. And guess the source of their blessing? God in heaven, absolutely. Okay, he enabled you to work hard. He created you. He enabled other people to generously provide for you. None of us is the actual source of blessing, Okay. At best, we talk about this often, at best we're like UPS drivers. We're, we're delivering packages that are in the back of our truck. They don't belong to us. They've been given to us, and we distribute them. Every blessing you have is from him. And here's the thing, too. Every blessing that other people have is a blessing from him. He is the source of their blessing as well. John the Baptist's followers, they were having a hard time understanding this. They were struggling with jealousy and envy because they were starting to believe something that's not true. They were starting to believe a lie, guys. So I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to jump back into the scriptures in just a second, but listen to me. Don't believe the lie that God blessing other people means he cares less for you. It's not true. It's not true at all. The mature Christian is someone who is convinced of God's love for them, like they've reconciled in their heart. I know that he loves me, and how he treats other people, for better or for worse, that doesn't change anything, okay? It's so my prayer for our church. This is a church plant. We're a baby. We're an infant. My prayer for this church is that we would be people who rejoice in the blessings of others, who enjoy it, 
not people who get sad or bummed out or frustrated or envious or jealous or whatever. Okay, let's keep reading here. Uh, Verse 28, John, remember, he's talking to his followers. John the Baptist is talking to his followers. He says, you yourselves bear witness, I'm sorry, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That that one sentence, it pretty much sums up following Jesus, okay? Let's keep reading verse 31. He, listen, this is important. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who bears witness to what he has seen, I'm sorry, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, the one from heaven, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay, this morning we're going to focus in on three things. This is a pretty comprehensive passage, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna focus in on three things. Okay, the first thing is this. We're going to talk about God's perspective. Second thing, God's testimony. And the third thing, God's appeal. Okay, if you're writing notes, taking notes, write these down. God's perspective God's testimony, and God's appeal. Okay, let's jump in here. Uh, God's perspective. How many of you guys in a season of your life have ever commuted? Whether to work or school or whatever, raise your hand high. Yeah, I was going to say this area, most of us would have had some experience commuting on the freeway, arguably the 91 freeway, which is the worst freeway on the face of the planet. Besides, maybe the 405 is really bad too. Um, I was talking with some friends. I was talking with Dorian this morning. We went to the same college, right? And I, I commuted to college. Okay, it was a long way. It was not fun. I spent way too much time on the 91 freeway. Now, here's the thing. When I went to college, it was before smartphones, okay? So for those of you that are familiar with life before smartphones, when you wanted to get traffic updates, what did you have to do? AM radio. Okay, and the AM radio was your lifesaver because you'd turn that bad boy on and some dude in a helicopter would be giving a report like, hey, guess what? You know, newsflash, the 91 freeway is a parking lot. You might want to take that way. Oh, it's shut down at the 15 and the impasse. Like they would give you like the, the traffic report, okay? Nowadays you can get it on Waze or whatever. They just tell you take this other route. It's faster because of a crash or whatever, right? But you tune into the radio and you ultimately tune into a man or a woman who's flying in a helicopter above Southern California because they can see the whole, like, they can see all of the infrastructure. They can see all the freeways. They can see all the roads. They can see what the traffic looks like from above, right? They have a different perspective up there than I do in my car, and that can inform how I get around and how I use the freeways. Makes sense? Yes, okay, look back at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from a heaven is above all. John the Baptist is saying that Jesus comes from above. Okay? He's saying that his vantage point, his perspective, is from eternity. 
Are you tracking with me? Okay. And he's saying that his perspective is very different than yours and mine. In this passage, we see Jesus as a witness. Like we talked about in the plane crash, a witness giving a testimony, right? Jesus is a witness, and he's a witness with a very unique perspective, a very unique vantage point. So, Jesus coming from above means that he sees more than you and I do, okay? So think about this. If you're driving on the freeway, if I'm driving on the freeway, I'm commuting to college, right, before smartphones. When I'm driving on the freeway, at best, I can see a couple miles ahead, okay? Especially if it's, you know, if there's turns, whatever. At best, I can see a couple miles ahead. But Jesus has a different perspective. Jesus is like the guy in the helicopter, okay? Not only can he see where I am on my journey, but he can see where I started, he can see what's led me to where, I, where I'm at now. He can see potential obstacles along the way, and he can see my destination. He has a different perspective. Jesus' vantage point is from eternity. That means that he has a clarity that no other human has or will ever have. He has clarity, perfect clarity. Okay, not only is Jesus a witness that has more clarity than anyone, but he also has more authority, okay? Uh, one of the things about me, I really love music. Um, as long as I can remember, I would, like, I would geek out on like songwriting. I remember par- my parents giving me, uh, you know, g- gifting me with guitars and stuff as growing up. And I remember being like a young kid and like trying to write songs and fumble my way through it. Before I even knew how to play guitar, I would try to write songs. I just always had an appreciation for that art form. And I remember, um, I remember being a kid... And like, and even just even as an adult too, like, like um, really examining songs in general, like as an art form. Like I would want to know why the song was written. So like, you know, there's symbolism and there's metaphor. And I, but I want to know why. Like why did the artist write this? What was going on? What, what is the, the ultimate like deep-rooted expression that they're trying to do? Okay, so I would geek out on this. I would like, I would spend hours listening to songs trying to figure out what they meant trying to figure out what the songwriter was trying to communicate, okay? Um, luckily for me, I grew up in a household where my parents had pretty good taste in music. So I remember, like, my dad would be like, hey, have you heard this? Or have you listened to this? And I remember, uh, uh, have you guys heard of Jackson Brown? Like, from, like, the 70s? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, so Jackson Brown's a kind of singer-songwriter from the 70s. My dad's like, hey, you should listen to this record. It's really good. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And it's, it's a fantastic record. And there's a song on this record, it's called These Days. It's a beautiful song, um, but it's a haunting song. Because a lot of the theme is about regret. I think, I think many of us uh, can think back to at least one or two things where we're like, ah, I regret that. But this song, it's this, it's this hauntingly beautiful song about regret, man. And like I said, I geek out on trying to figure out what songwriters are trying to express, you know, and what they were trying to say. So I, I heard a story about the meaning of this song. I was told a story, and basically the story went this, went like this, like, so he got married, Jackson Brown got married, and he's a touring musician, right? So he's on the road, and he has an affair on the road, and his wife finds out, and she takes her life. I know, oh, right? Just like, oh, instantly, like, good Lord. They have like a baby. Just not cool, right? So he's unfaithful on the road. She takes her life. 
I'm going to read you some lyrics from this song. This is how the song starts. Okay, it says this. I'm not going to sing it. I thought about it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you can listen to this song later if you want to. <clears throat> okay, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. Just, just listen in, okay? This is, the, this is how the song opens up. Well, I've been out walking. I don't do too much talking these days. These days. These days I seem to think a lot about the things that I forgot to do for you and all the times I had the chance to. Oh, that regret, that pain, right? So the story goes, years after her death, right? Jackson Brown is asked about that time in his life by like a news reporter. So he's fielding questions, right? And this is years later, and the guy's like, hey, tell me about this and that, and how, how was that for you? And just asking all these questions about that time of life, right? And that's where the song comes from, that this song was birthed out of this reporter questioning him about the season of his life. Like, that's what catalyzed this song coming about. That's what the story says, right? Let me read you the way that this song ends. Here's the last lyrics of this song, right? He says this, well, I'll keep on moving, moving on. Things are bound to be improving these days. One of these days. These days I sit on cornerstones and count the time in quarter tones to 10. This is the last line. Don't confront me with my failures. I had not forgotten them. And I remember when I heard this story and I'm like wrapping my brain around this song, like it affected me. Like you know when art of any kind like just moves you at a deep soul level where you're like, oh, I feel that. Like, I feel that pain. I feel that regret. Like, oh my goodness. About a week ago, I watched this interview with Jackson Brown about, and he, like this interviewer is interviewing him and and he's talking about this song. I'm like, oh, I love that song. Like, I love it because I appreciate it. It's a heart-wrenching song, but I love it. And in the middle of this interview, the interviewer plays him a song. Like he puts on a recording and he plays it and instantly Jackson Brown's mouth, like, you know, you start to develop a smile in the corner of your mouth. He starts to develop a smile and then he has this big smile on his face because the interviewer, the reporter, he was playing him a demo, the original demo of that song. He hadn't, Jackson Brown hadn't heard himself sing that song or that demo in, you know, decades, right? So he plays in this song and then Jackson Brown goes, you know, he goes, that's been a really special song for me. And he goes, I wrote that song when I was 16. And I'm like, wait a second, 16. And then they break out another record where they play um, uh, an artist from like the late 60s, early 70s recorded, like she covered that song. And she released that record years before Jackson Brown released his version of the song he had written. Are you tracking with me? So I'm like going, wait a second, you wrote that song when you were 16. Somebody else recorded it and released it before you even met the woman who would become your wife. And I'm like, that's not what the song's about. The story isn't true. And the truth is the song had nothing to do with his wife's death. Here's the thing, guys. If you want to know what a song is about, ask the songwriter. Like, he'll tell you what the song's about. Why? Because he wrote it. Like, he's the authority on the meaning of the song, right? Listen, not only is Jesus a witness that has more clarity on your life than you do, he's the authority. He created you. 
If, if you are a song, he is the songwriter. His perspective is from above. His perspective is from eternity. If you noticed in verse 34, it says something astounding. It tells us Jesus speaks the, like the words of God. Friends, there's no higher authority than Jesus. Uh, famous verses from Isaiah. You've heard this before, most likely. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, God is different than you and I. Thank God he, he, in the person of Jesus, has come to relate to us so that we can understand him more. But he's very different than you and I. He has a different vantage point and a different authority. Okay? This is what John the Baptist is communicating to his followers. Okay? He's saying, don't confuse me for the one from above. Like, his perspective is from heaven. My perspective is from earth. Don't get the two confused. There's a reason all these people are going to him. It's because of, it's because of God's influence from heaven. Okay? That's the first thing. All right? Let's go to the second point. God's testimony. Uh, look at verse uh, 32. He, talking about Jesus, bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Okay, so what is Jesus' testimony? If you were with us last week, we, we, we talked about uh, our passages were John 3.16 through, I think, 21, okay? John 3.16, the most famous, we talked about this, the most famous verse in the New Testament, right? <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, when it says the world, God so loved the world. Remember we talked about this? Like the world is the condemned ones. Stay with me. The world is the condemned ones. The, the world is the people who have rejected God, that sin against God and sin against each other. Okay, that's the world. Okay, Jesus is saying something crazy. He's saying God loves those who don't love him back. Like it's outrageous love, okay? For God so loved the world, the broken, the rejected ones, the ones that sin against each other and God. And then when he says that whoever believes in him, the whoever is anyone who trusts in Jesus. Anyone. Like, guys, God, he's powerful. He can redeem anyone. He can redeem anything, Okay, so when we talk about Jesus' testimony, Jesus' testimony involves two very important things, the truth about God and the truth about you. That's his testimony, okay? The truth about God, the truth about you, the truth that, that like you and I were so bad that God in the flesh had to die for me, had to die for you, okay? But at the exact same time, you're so loved that God was willing and glad to do it. Think about that. Guys, Jesus' testimony, Jesus' testimony is the gospel. His testimony is the gospel, the good news that Jesus was sent to live the perfect life that you never could in your place. He did all the right stuff. He perfectly obeyed God the Father every moment of every day in my place because I, can, I, can, I can't. I'm, I'm not capable of that. <clears throat> he was sent to live the perfect life in your place you never could and to die the death that you and I deserve on the cross for every time we reject him by sinning against him and sinning against other people. Anyone who trusts in him 
receives the free gift of his grace and is reconciled to God, okay? Saved from the wrath of your sin, the the due punishment, right? Jesus is punished for your sin instead of you being punished for your sin. It's amazing. It's good news. That's what gospel means. At the cross, the penalty of sin is like paid for. And the beautiful thing is it's not paid for by you. It's paid for by Jesus. It's awesome, okay? That's his testimony, okay? My third point tonight, or this this morning, God's appeal, God's appeal. We talked about God's perspective. We talked about God's testimony. Let's talk about his appeal. So, kind of to review. Jesus is a witness, right? Jesus is a witness with a very unique perspective and an incredible testimony. And he's sent into the world, right? God takes on flesh. He's sent into the world to declare this testimony, to declare the truth about you and the truth about God, to declare the gospel, right? We just talked about this. So his, his appeal to the world that he was sent to is for you to receive his testimony. Okay? He's declaring a testimony. He wants you to believe it. Okay? Look back at verse 36. <clears throat> Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Something kind of cool happens in this verse. John the Baptist, he equates belief with obedience. Did you notice that? Look back at it. Look back at that verse. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. He literally uses those two terms almost interchangeably. Belief and obedience. Here's the thing. This whole gospel account that we're going through, the gospel of John, right? It's based around this premise that your beliefs determine your behavior. What you believe influences and informs and determines even how you act, how you behave, okay? If you trust what Jesus says, if you receive and believe his testimony, you will obey him. Last week, we talked about how the Christian, the Christian doesn't obey to earn God's love, The Christian obeys because they've received God's love and it's an undeserved love. It's grace, right? So Jesus' appeal is to believe and trust in him, okay? The outcome of that is obedience, right? So if you believe, I'm sorry, if you believe, you will obey. Get that out of the way for a second. There's something else in this passage that I want you to see that is breathtaking and beautiful and amazing, okay? Uh, in John, what was it? Sorry, yeah, in verse 29 here, John says this, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. John the Baptist is using marital language here, <clears throat> okay? He refers to Jesus as the bridegroom. This isn't gonna be new to many of you, but listen in. All throughout the scriptures, we see God's people described as a bride, Okay? There's something absolutely beautiful here. But to see it, you have to understand what it means to be a bride and what it means to be a bridegroom. You have to understand what John the Baptist is getting at here, okay? Go ahead and flip really quickly in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five, the verse 22, we're gonna start there. The classic verses on on marriage, on husband and wifing. Listen to this, I'm gonna read it to you. Ephesians chapter five, listen in. I'm gonna read you a couple verses here. Verse 22. We have to understand what it means to be a bride and what it means to be a bridegroom to understand what's happening in this passage, okay? Verse 22, wives, submit submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, really quickly, we're going to start with husbands. Okay, some of you ladies are already, you're like backing up. You're like, he brought the S word, submit, like we're not going to go there. Listen, this is actually really, really beautiful, okay? We're going to start with the husbands. What does this passage tell us about what it means to be a husband? Participate, go ahead. Gave himself up, okay? Verse 25, he gave himself up for her, okay? So listen, to be a husband is to be a living picture of sacrifice, of giving yourself up for the benefit of a woman, your wife. That's what it is to be a husband, okay? It's choosing the wife over yourself. It's living for her benefit. So if we were to take a husband, right? And instead of it being a noun, you know, a person, place, or a thing, if we made husband a verb, so if we were to say like to husband is to, what? If we were to make it a verb, to husband is to sacrifice for the wife. That's what it means to husband. You following me? Okay, what does this passage tell us about what it means to be a wife? Okay, to who? To men? No, to their own husbands. Very good, okay. Verse 24, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is not like a, a sexist thing. Women, you need to submit to men in general. That's not what's being said here, okay? So to be a wife is to be a living picture of submission. Here's the thing about submission. Submission infers that there will be resistance. If there, wa- if there wasn't resistance, you wouldn't need to tell someone to submit. It would be completely just we're doing, we do the exact same thing. There's no diversity. There's no, no, we'd be just completely locked at the hip, right? Submission infers there will be, re- there will be resistance. There will be a lack of desire on the part of the wife. It assumes that there will be times of disagreement, but ultimately, submission, what it means is to yield, okay? So if we were to turn wife from a noun into a verb, like we did with the husband, to, to wife someone is to submit to your husband. To wife is to submit to the husband, to, to, to yield, right? So here's what you have. Sacrifice and submission. Submission and sacrifice. Here's why I bring this up, okay? John the Baptist uses marital language here. The Bible tells us all over the place. It says that a Christian relates to Jesus as a bride relates to her husband. Guys, do you know what that means? It means submission. And in the context of this passage in John, it means submission to something very specific. Listen to me. It means submission to believing Jesus' testimony. Friends, Jesus says you are radically guilty, yet completely loved. He says you're precious. Listen to me. Don't look in your Bibles for just a second. Look at me. Jesus says you're precious. Jesus says no matter what you believe, your looks don't define you. That's not true. They're not the truest thing about you. What other people think about you or say about you does not define you. 
how much money you have or you don't have does not define you. What Jesus says is that his love and affection for you is what defines you. That's his testimony. His love and affection is what defines you. He's the bridegroom. You are the bride. Jesus ultimately says that you, think about you for a second, not the other people in the room, not the people in your life, Jesus says that you are worth dying for. You're precious. You matter. So here's my question. Will you yield to him? Will you yield to him? Do you submit to his testimony, to what he says is true? I think if you're anything like me, man, it is so easy to believe the gospel for other people. Like, I look at Ryan and Kindy, and I'm like, God, they're so great. Like, Jesus loves them. I can, I can like, experience their, God's love for them and his grace and mercy for them. And I look at Rory, I'm like, he's so lovable. Like, I can totally understand why Jesus is just, like, so patient and gracious and loving and kind and pouring out his spiritual gifts. And Kevin's loyal, and he's kind, and he's thoughtful. And, like, I could just, uh, it's so easy for me to, honestly, to, to, to believe genuinely and submit to Jesus' testimony for all of you in the room. It's much more difficult for me to submit to Jesus' testimony about me. Maybe you can relate. Um, I'll, I'll tell that later. Sorry, that's like, that was like mental filtering in real time. <clears throat> so you just, you like got that. That was cool. Uh, so yeah. So I, I want to pose you the question, like, are you believing Jesus' testimony for you? It's easy to believe it for other people. At least it is for me. Maybe not for all of us, but it is for me. Because the, the Christian believes Jesus' testimony. The Christian believes that what Jesus says is true is for them. Like, for them personally, okay? The Christian submits to what Jesus says to be true. Like a wife submits to a husband. And... <laughs> Uh, we could take a poll of every wife in this room, and I guarantee you it would be unanimous. There are times when every single wife finds herself disagreeing with her husband. Like, it happens, right? Like, it's a real thing. <clears throat> Likewise, there will be times when every single Christian finds themselves disagreeing with Jesus' testimony. Jesus, how can I... Ha- you have mercy for this sin? Like, I was so unkind and thoughtful or unthoughtful, I, I, I was inconsiderate. I directly disobeyed your commands. Like I could just start lifting off sins right now that I'm confident all of us in the room have experienced. I don't even need to. I think all of us know there are times when we, as, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, where you go, you know what? There are times when I just disagree with Jesus' testimony. I disagree with what he says is true. But the question is in those moments, this is, this is honestly, listen in, this is spiritual maturity, is in those moments when you recognize I'm disagreeing with Jesus' testimony here, stay with me, in those moments, will you submit? That determines spiritual maturity. In those moments when I recognize like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm compromising because I want Stu to like me, so I'm going to do or say things that would compromise my beliefs, to even, to a, even just a little bit, I'll embellish because I want his approval. When I do that, it's because I'm not believing Jesus' testimony. You see, you're hearing me. When I do that, I'm not believing Jesus' testimony. The question is, in those moments when I feel that temptation, 
when I start to recognize I'm not really fully believing that Jesus loves me even though I don't deserve it, when I'm, when I'm tempted to believe those, in those moments, will I submit? Will I submit to what he says is true about me? I'm really guilty, but I'm, I'm radically loved. All the approval I've ever sought in my life is available to me in Jesus. Will I believe that? That he delightfully wants to give it to me. Look at verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Guys, to set your seal, do you know what that means? To set your seal is like, um, back in the day, they would have like rings, and the rings would have like an indention in there, right? And they they would take like wax, melted wax, and they would use... The, 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 the ring to imprint like a seal. And that was basically the same thing as signing on the dotted line. The same thing as like signing a signature, right? It's like signing a contract. It, it's, it's binding yourself to the terms of the agreement. Friends, to, to set your seal is to submit. It's to bind yourself. It's to submit. And I'm convinced, I've been praying for you guys all week, I'm convinced that there are many of us in the room, you need to submit your beliefs. You need to submit your beliefs. You need to believe the testimony of the witness from heaven. Not just acknowledge that it's true, but trust in it, grab a hold of it. Have that shape your reality. You need to submit to what he says is true. Like no more of the kind of oscillating back and forth, does he love me, does he not? Am I saved? Am I not? Just receive his testimony. He's declared it with his whole life, man. Okay, I'm going to call the band up. I'll close with this. If you guys are in the room, come on up. I felt that air conditioner kick on, and that was God answering my prayers because <laughs> I am I'm hot. Okay, I'm almost done. Um, yeah. So John the Baptist, right? <clears throat> he says this one-liner that's just brilliant. He says, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Guys, that does not describe supplementation. It doesn't describe adding something to what's there. It describes a replacement. He must increase, I must decrease. It describes a replacing with what's there with something entirely different, something else. He must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist saw it. Do you see it? What's happening here? Jesus is the witness from heaven, right? And his testimony is true, okay? His perspective is from heaven. It's eternal. That means he has a clarity and an authority that nobody else has. He's like the dude in the helicopter. All of us have beliefs. You have beliefs right now. And right now, you're believing something. And right now, you're believing something. Sometimes that changes. Sometimes it's fluid. We all have beliefs. And those beliefs, they influence our behavior. 
what we do. Here's what I want for you this morning. What I want for you this morning is I want you to let his testimony about you replace your testimony about you. He must increase. I must decrease. And, and, and I know that all of us, we all have like testimonies in our lives. We've heard different testimonies, right? People sharing their opinion. They're declaring something. They're, they're, they're giving their testimony. <clears throat> all of us have different testimonies in our lives that have like scarred us and hurt us. The words that you can't get out of your head, you know, maybe a family member said something to you about you that stuck with you. You know, like the, the you aren't good enough stuff. Like, oh, you can't really do that. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not cool enough. You're not smart enough. Fill in the blank, right? You're not whatever enough. Guys, do you know that like Satan's main strategy is to attack your beliefs? So much, we're so preoccupied with circumstances. Man, his main strategy is to attack what you believe. He's going after your brain, man. What you believe to be true because your beliefs, they determine your behavior. So here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you and encourage you to surrender your beliefs to the testimony of Jesus. You can fight back and defeat the enemy that way, man. Jesus' testimony is what is true. All the other testimonies, to some degree, are false. I want you to let Jesus' testimony about you replace all the other testimonies, including yours, including what you think about you. Because if you're anything like me, you get so easy to struggle and go, you know what? The gospel's true for other people because they're lovely because they're valuable. I can see your value. I have, a hard, I have a really hard time seeing mine. Do you know what that means? You know what that points to? That points to a desperate need for community, for people who don't have the same perspective of you, who don't have the same kind of blockage maybe that you have, who aren't being attacked in the same way by the enemy to help you see the testimony of Jesus and what that means for you. So this morning, I want you to believe the witness from heaven. I want you to actually believe him. I want you to believe Jesus' testimony that you're really guilty, man. You're really bad. You hurt people. You hurt him. But you're really loved. And to the degree that you can believe that testimony is to the degree that his power will invade your life and transform you. I want that for us. It's the power to defeat Satan. It's the power to transform your life. So my question for you this morning is whose testimony do you believe? Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Father, thank you that it's safe to be in your presence, to be exposed. 
I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and minds of people in this room now, myself included. Thank you that you are lovingly exposing us. Um, I, and I think that there's more work to be done in this. I really do think that you are, you, are, you are leading some of us and prompting some of us to confess sin so we can become free from it, so that we can actually believe and grab a hold of your testimony. That yes, we're bad, but we are radically loved, unconditionally loved, eternally loved. And it's not based on our performance. It's based on your performance, King Jesus. King Jesus. So I pray the gospel over every heart this morning, the good news that your love for us is available to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in our hearts as we respond now. I love you, Jesus. Amen.